Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. I'm an American badass. And I'm Kev. <laughs> yeah, hi guys. Uh, welcome to part two of our Nick Cave versus PJ Harvey Battle of the X's grudge match. Um, Kev took us through Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds album Murder Ballads last week. This week, I'm going to take us through PJ Harvey's album from the year 2000, Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea. So just to remind you of what the connections between those two albums are. So PJ Harvey, obviously, as we said last week, she appears on two tracks on Murder Ballads. Nick Cave and PJ Harvey had a relationship around the time of the recording of Murder Ballads. And importantly, the stories from the city, stories from the sea and Murder Ballads are both produced by Mick Harvey, who himself is a bad seed. Uh, that's not a slight on his character. That's the name of the band of which he was a member. <laughs> well, yes, I, I was going to um, be slightly pedantic and say he was a bad seed. Has uh, left in 2009, was it? I think. Yeah, that'll do. He he is no longer a bad seed. He is now a good egg. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. An obvious joke, but one that, that had to be made. Um, so, yeah, that's this week. But before that... It is the return of our regular feature, Video Killed the Radio Star. Your choice this week, Kev, so off you go. It is, and um, it's unusually contemporaneous for me. So this week, as as we record, the new song for public service broadcasting was released, which is called People, Let's Dance. It's craftwork-tastic. Oh, it is. It's taken from the new album, Bright Magic, which is released... um, in, on September the 24th and the song itself or the video he just has a lovely bit of coordinated roller disco <laughs> that's all I can say I've written synchronised roller disco <laughs> it's such a simple video but it is but in terms of in relation to the song it's great um, so it's directed by Chloe Hayward and yeah it, it's just a really nice video for a song that i I really like from a band that we both have a lot of love for. A band that you introduced me to. Um, and apparently the, the song itself borrows a riff from Depeche Mode's People Are People. It definitely does. So yeah, um, check it out, um, particularly if you're a big fan of the roller disco. So can I, can, so can I read you my notes? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I, I really like the song as well. I think the bass line in it is absolutely belting. It's great. Well, so unusually for public service broadcasting, this song does not have any audio clips from old BFI films within it. It's just it's traditional lyrics, if, if you like. In German. German, yeah, in German. <laughs> um, so the video starts with a woman wearing an orange like a drum, like her jumpsuit and roller boots, as you said. As that bass line begins, she starts to dance. Then as the lyrics invite us to Com Tanzen, German for come dancing. She joins up with her pink friend and they begin to do a synchronized roller disco. Then as the song continues, they meet up with the rest of the Stabilo Boss Highlighter Pen Collection. 
<laughs> continued their dance <laughs> alongside the Thames in London. <laughs> it's great. I like it's a really good video. I like the song a lot. I'm really excited for the new album. As you said, recorded at Hansa Studios in Berlin, uh, which is a studio with a great deal of history that we have mentioned before on Album Clash. Indeed. Good choice. Um, and yes, and I'm led to believe that the the album itself, which who knows how long this goes on, that we may well do a review of, it is a triptych um, love letter to Berlin um, and has three themes within it. Um, one of which is uh, which is the name of the name of the album, Bright Magic. I wonder if anyone that we've ever spoken about on Album Clash before may have inspired a trilogy stroke triptych <laughs> collection of songs about and recorded in berlin absolutely no idea who you could be referring to <laughs> okay good stuff yep yeah, so check it out um as kev said so today is what the fourth of june yeah uh so songs being released this week album comes out september the 24th they are doing a tour of the UK in October and November. So if you're based in the UK, go and check them out. If you've not seen them before, they are a phenomenally good live band. A really good show. And uh, as Kev said, we're really, we are big fans of PSB. So you'll um, have a, you'll have a great time going to say you it. will have a great time. You And you'll learn some things about history as well. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. So should we start going through PJ Harvey then? I think we should. Okay, so this is me, isn't it? So I've got to talk. Okay, Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea, released on the 24th of October, 2000. 24th of October is my wife's birthday, interestingly enough. Released on Ireland Records, it was PJ Harvey's fifth studio album. Recorded at Great Linford Manor near Milton Keynes in the UK. Satan's lay by Milton Keynes. (laughs) (laughs) One for Bill Bailey fans. Uh, Between March and April 2000, as we said before, produced by former Bad Seed Mick Harvey, no relation, and Rob Ellis and PJ Harvey herself. So the inspiration for the album came whilst PJ Harvey spent six months in New York. She was filming a role in uh, Hal Hartley's independent film, The Book of Life, in 1998. So in an interview with the LA Times to promote the album, she said, New York certainly gave me a different kind of energy. I made a film with Hal Hartley and I realised at the time what an inspiring sort of place it felt to me. I can remember even when we were filming, I was writing songs, some of which ended up on this record. I just felt very inspired. Despite that, PJ Harvey, Polly Jean Harvey, for people that aren't, aren't familiar, PJ Harvey hates this album being referred to as her New York album. So not every song was written during that period in New York. Other songs were in, in London and at her home in, in Dorset on the south coast in the UK. And that inspired the album's title, Stories from the City, i.e. New York, and Stories from the Sea, i.e. Dorset on the south coast of England. May I um, suggest an alternative to PJ Harvey's New York album? Go on. PJ's Pop Party. (laughs) We'll get to that. (laughs) We'll get to that. Don't worry. In fact, we'll get to that right now. (laughs) It is a far more upbeat, poppy sound than her previous efforts. So 95's 
to bring you my love and 98 is this desire which i i love to bring you my love but it, it's brilliant it's, that's why it, it's it's not an acceptable album no it is not so in an interview with q magazine in 2001 she said having experimented with some dreadful sounds on is this desire and to bring you my love where i was really looking for dark and unsettling nauseous making st- noises Stories from the City was the reaction. I thought, no, I want absolute beauty. I want this album to sing and fly and be full of reverb and lush layers of melody. Spoiler alert, mission accomplished. Christ, yeah. It's not a complete departure from her sound. And and Polly Jean would say that herself. So in that same interview, she also said that it was pop according to PJ Harvey, which is probably as unpop as you can get according to most people's standards. As I said, PJ's pop party. (laughs) Now, um, this is another callback to a previous clash. To help promote the album, she supported U2 (laughs) on the North American leg of the Elevation Tour in the spring of 2001. She had previously supported U2 uh, on the Zuropa Tour in 1993 with her then band, the PJ Harvey Trio. So she said in an interview with the Calgary Sun, that most esteemed of publications, <laughs> in April 2001, I classify myself as a U2 fan, and I think U2 fans are a lot more open than most fans that I can think of. That's been the case with us. People are really listening to and responding. People who probably wouldn't have heard our music before. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I don't like, and particularly her her later stuff as well, um, which she's done in the last in the last few years. I don't see a an easy balance between U 2s output and Polly Jean's output. Maybe it, it cross sect at, at those points, but not subsequently. No, so, I'm going to disagree with what she said there. So I I saw U two on that tour. Not in, not in North America. So PJ Harvey wasn't supporting. I saw her in the, in the UK, obviously. Khalees was supporting. Which Khalees is an interesting supporter yeah, for you too. Exactly. Well, as PJ Harvey was, as you just said. Mm-hmm. And I quite like Khalees. The audience did not respond well to Khalees at all. <laughs> no, I can't imagine they did. Well, I think what we could, what we can say is, bearing in mind, this album was recorded before she supported them on the Elevation Tour. And... She supported them on Zeropa immediately before she, um, she released To Bring You My Love. She is not one that decided to go stadium. In fact, her reaction to having supported U2 twice was quite the opposite. Was to go cave. <laughs> yeah. Not Nick Cave. That wasn't a, that wasn't a clever reference. <laughs> so that's the background. Uh, as we usually do, let's talk about how we discovered the album. So would you mind if I, I go first? Yeah, sure. I arrived very late to PJ Harvey. I was I was very aware of of her work, and certainly Down by the Water was her biggest hit mm-hmm. through the nineties when when I was exploring things musically. But I'd never really responded to it, and I can't say for why. And even when this album came out, I can't say this album was my introduction to PJ Harvey. It was actually only when Let England Shake was released in two thousand eleven, also produced by Mick Harvey. And one that I also considered for this clash, actually. That's when I started getting into PJ Harvey's music. So I was a bit older, a bit, bit more exploratory in my taste, let's say. I've really liked Let England Shake. Great album. Mm-hmm. It is a great album. 
Uh, so yeah, I got into Let England Shake and I just started going back and listen to stories from the city. There are songs on here that I was very familiar with at the time, but yeah, my introduction to the album was quite late and I realised exactly what I've been missing. Uh, so suffice to say, although I came late to PJ Harvey, I am a fan. So for me, um, as with as with many people, the, your family play a important role in shaping your musical taste. Either you gravitate towards elements of it or you rebel against it and you go in a different direction. Uh, my older sister um, was a huge PJ Harvey fan right from right from the beginning. And when she used to drive us to school in her Fiat Uno in the tape deck, she'd have, um, she'd have PJ Harvey amongst others blasting out on the way to school. And so I'd been very au fait with Polly Jean's work for quite a while. And so when this when this came out, I was very much into into her work and and really liked the album when it when it first came out. Can we go back to your sister's Fiat Uno? <laughs> we can indeed. Was that literally twice as good as your first car? <laughs> <laughs> it had twice as much power, my first car being a Fiat Cinquecento. Which is a great automobile, by the way. <laughs> oh, I loved I loved the chunk. The chunk was boss. I can't believe he drove that to Glastonbury. I know. <laughs> I managed to get all my Glasto stuff in in the chunk. Great. Oh, good stuff. Um. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I know. I know your. I know your sister's a big PJ Harvey fan. So yeah. But for me, it was it was later. So um. Anyway, there you go. Should we talk about artwork? Yeah, I think I think we should. So the photograph on the front of the album is pretty self-explanatory, really. It's it's Polly Jean dressed up for a night on the town in New York. She's got black dress on. Gold handbag, massive shades. She looks cool as fuck and sexy as hell. Big Jackie O vibes. Oh yeah. I mean, there's not a huge amount to say about the cover. It's not. It's it's not a bad cover. It's just it's it's a photo of her in the middle of New York, as you as you say. So the photograph is taken by uh, Maria, and I apologise for my pronunciation. Mocknatch. I'm very sorry, Maria Mocknatch, if or whatever her correct pronunciation is. So she's a long-time collaborator of PJ Harvey. She's photographed many, many album covers, including for artists, obviously, as well as PJ Harvey, as artists as diverse as Robert Plant and Echo Belly. <laughs> Did not expect Echo Belly to be <laughs> <laughs> What I'll say is that musically, it's the most accessible uh, of her albums. And I think the image on the cover matches that. Mm-hmm. As I said, she looks cool as fuck on that cover. It's great. Yeah, it's as uh, I mean, as as we've we've said previously, this is this is pop by PJ Harvey, yeah. and so the cover is as pop as she gets. Yeah, exactly. That's um, a, 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 a good way of putting it. Uh, so I, I'm ready to get into the songs. Yeah, I'm I'm ready to crack on. Okay, so we start with Big Exit. It, very clearly, a song about her fascination with gun culture in, in America. Within the lyrics, she says, too many cops, too many guns, all trying to do something no one else has done. Some people did not like this song and did not like this album. And I know it is very early to go into the reviews, but there's something I want to read from Spencer Owen from Pitchfork. 
about this song in particular. He said, it shows PJ Harvey posing as a bored Patty Smith. That seems very harsh to me. Fuck off. Fuck <laughs> right off. So I can see the Patty Smith comparison. Yeah. With without question, throughout this album, there are Chrissy Hind, Patty Smith comparisons that you can make. But to be as dismissive yes. of her, to say she sounds like a bored Patty Smith, fuck off. That's that's bollocks. I think this is a really good up-tempo opener. Yep. And it's setting the stall out that this is different from the last two albums. Um, we're, we're looking at a different sound, a different approach yep. to it. Um, and it's really good. It's a really good opening song. Like, I, I do not agree with that at all. No, nor do I. And I, I really like this song. It's So I, I read the quote earlier about her talking about loads of reverb, loads of layers. Right from the off, you've got that. You've got massive reverb in the guitars, massive reverb in the vocals. I think there's a there's a great... We talked about this a lot last week, and this is where we use a lot. There's a great juxtaposition between verse and chorus. The verses speak of alarm and alert to the dangers of walking the streets of New York. But the chorus, despite that, speaks of almost being seduced by it mm-hmm. and being fascinated by it, at least. And yeah. I think that's really interesting that the lyrics do that, but musically... Sorry, guys, I'm going to repeat myself a lot. I always do. I think the musical choices throughout this album are very cleverly structured around the lyrics and the stories of the songs. Yeah, and the, whilst I don't necessarily like every song on the album, the, there are there is interest in all of them musically, and you could, you can't say further than that. Really, the, yeah. there is something going on in all of them. Everything has something to offer. Yeah, um, this is a great start. It doesn't hang around too long, but it's got me bang up for what's to follow. Love it. Yeah, definitely. A great start. Okay. Are we ready to go on? Yes, very much so. All right. Okay. So we are on to Good Fortune. So this was released as a single in November 2000, the lead single from the album. In fact, it reached number 41 in the UK. Which I find I find mad that it, it only reached 41, considering that to me... This is the most well-known song on this album. That maybe that's just because I've heard it so often. Yeah, okay. I think this is love. It's probably the best-known song on the album, but I know what you mean. I think it speaks to what we were saying earlier that PJ Harvey's previous stuff wasn't that radio-friendly, let's mm-hmm. say, and mainstream audiences perhaps weren't yet ready to open themselves to what she had to offer on this album. Well, you I suppose you didn't really have a huge... Well, you certainly didn't have digital radio at this point. So so at this point, you'd get Peel, you'd get the evening sessions, you'd get... Was XFM around at this point? Maybe in London, but not nationally. Yeah, so, so to our American listeners, we have far fewer radio stations than you do. And certainly at the turn of the millennium, there was very little choice in terms of the genre of music that those radio stations played. Yeah, so you you wouldn't get to hear a huge amount of alternate stuff unless you tune into certain programs. Yeah, like you said, you you had John Peel, you had the evening session, you had Mark and Lard. Is that about it? Yeah, pretty much. But I'm definitely sure that I heard I heard this a lot on one of the, the aforementioned programs. Well, so, so not only that, but but now we lived together in 2000 and uh, this was 
heavy rotation on MTV2, the video. Yeah. So the video directed by Sophie Muller, uh, she'd worked a lot with the Eurythmics in the past and Annie Lennox after the Eurythmics broke up. She has also worked with Hole, The Stone Roses and Beyonce and she directed all of the videos for the singles on this album. The video's got PJ Harvey walking around London. She ends up at a kebab shop, which is great. <laughs> PJ Harvey in a kebab shop. Why not? <laughs> exactly. So apparently because of the way the video was shot, so so she was just walking around and the cameramen are having to walk backwards to film her. So in an interview with MTV2, she said, the crew would have to consciously be aware all the time of where I was moving because they might have to duck and get out of the line of vision. It was hilarious because I kind of conned on to if I would move in a certain position, <laughs> I'd be able to watch the whole 15-piece male crew hit the ground immediately. So a couple of times, I'd do it on purpose and bang, flat down as quickly as they could. I mean, you've heard of actors being difficult to work with, but that's just torment, that is. <laughs> uh, my, my brain did go into a reverie whilst you were talking. Like uh, the PJ Harvey going into a kebab shop was... A tootie later, Johnny Kebab, please. <laughs> I know she sounds nothing like that. Don't me eating chips, please. <laughs> you ain't never seen Bad Boys too. I <laughs> I apologise profusely to anyone that lives in the and Dorset. Dorset's not that as well. Dorset's no, no. Dorset's but like in my head, that's how she sounds. <laughs> that's how people sound when I live. <laughs> Uh, we don't have any listeners, Danny. I'm not going to cut it. I'm totally going to rock your world. <laughs> Come back here and marry my daughter. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little demographic excluded. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, God, I love this song. I love Good Fortune. It's a really good song as well. I've just got distracted. Um, I mean, you can hear the New York fascination on Big Exit. You can hear it here as well. So, yeah. what, within the first two or three verses, you've got references to Chinatown and Little Italy. This one does sound very Patti Smith-influenced, actually. It does. A great piece of grungy guitar pop. Yeah, I mean, so, so my notes were it's an excellent indie pop song. Uh, you could easily make comparisons between her voice and... Unfortunately, it is quite lazy, but Chrissy Hine, Patti Smith, it it, it, it does, yep. does remind you of those voices. It does. All right. Um, shall we go on to Place Called Home? I think we should. This was the second single from the album, released 26th of February 2001. This only reached number 43 in the UK singles chart. Again, the video directed by Sophie Muller. What I like about the video is throughout it, there's so many fade cuts between shots, which almost creates the effect of being drunk, having double mm -hmm. vision. It's so disorienting. And given the subject matter, I just wonder if if that's a deliberate choice of, well, you know, she's intoxicated by love. Because that's what the song's about. It's a song about being in a perfect relationship at the wrong time. Uh, you know, one day there'll be a place for us. Again, it's a simplistic interpretation, but that's me. No, I mean, the, the whole album is... It's it's a love album, really. That she's she's in the throes of the the early stages of a relationship, and I think that was the case at the time. And you can tell from from the lyrics and how everything's put together. 
I mean, the, the song itself, it's really well put together. Her voice sounds great. And yeah. the balance between her softer, higher pitched backing vocals and the main vocal is yeah. beautifully done. It's so well done. And it, mm-hmm. it, it absolutely makes this song. It does. There's also a really good use of a melodica. Which is not a it's not an instrument you get to re- reference enough. Nope, uh, but I like a melodica, and uh, fans of Champagne Supernova via Oasis will also like a melodica because that's the instrument that's played through there. Um, is it not also on Star by um, Primal Screen? Yep, it is indeed. Yeah, I like this song a lot. Three songs in, they all sound different. They're all really good. All good. Before we move on, and this is not the last time I'm going to refer to this band. And you might raise your eyebrows at this. I can hear the verve in this song. Within the chorus, I get very catching the butterfly vibes. I don't get that. However, I think I can understand why you would come to that. That clearly the verve were very Velvet Underground influenced, very New York influenced. So this is a new, certainly this song anyway, and, and the early elements of the album are New York influenced. So it's not a surprise you would pull that. Um, I don't hear it myself, but I, I can see where you're coming from. So I think this is perhaps a, a symptom of me having come to this album, well, within the last 10 years, that I came to the album with a lot more, sounds wanky again, depth to my... You were bringing musical baggage, your musical history. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, you have eloquently described my thoughts. And there's a few times throughout the rest of the album, I'm going to call out other artists and other bands that I can hear. And that's possibly as a result of that. Whereas if I'd come to this album first, I'd be calling forward and saying those other artists sound like this, if that makes any sense at all. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I like this. It's a lovely, lovely song. Yeah, it's it's great. It, as, as we've said, we're three songs in and it's all good. It's all good stuff. It is all good stuff, so shall we move on to one line? Definitely. Featuring backing vocals by Tom York of Radiohead. Not the last time we will list, we will refer to him on this album. Again, it seems to me about, it's a song about being in love. It's about wanting to be with your lover so you can keep each other safe while the world falls apart around you. And it to me, conjures up images and memories of the intense feeling of a new relationship. I mean, since the the opening of this album, it's all you can you know it's PJ Harvey, but it's not her sound. This is certainly to me from 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 her past history. This is the most PJ Harvey song we've had so far. It has a very PJ Harvey start to it, but then develops a, a much greater sound throughout and it, it really works for that the you have that kind of grungy raw beginning and it it develops into a much thicker uh sound to it and a fuller sound and it, it it's a really good song i like i really really like this i like it a lot i agree with what you said to an extent yes the guitar at the start is it it is the most redolent of her earlier material that we've had so far but and it's an obvious point to make when you hear Tom York's voice in the background, you hear a xylophone part, which puts me in mind of no surprises, perhaps obviously. It's got a very Radiohead sound to it, this song. 
It and I, that's a good thing. I really like it, but it's it it starts very PJ Harvey. It 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 very quickly moves beyond that into something more. No, not more expansive. That sounds like a criticism of her earlier stuff. Something very different. Yeah, it and I think it the, it's the beauty of the song is that you are given such a raw opening, but it develops in into into something else. And and that's that's why it works so well. Yeah, and this is this is the first part of what I interpret as something of a of a trilogy of love songs. And unless you've got anything else to say, I'm happy to move on to the second part of that trilogy. No, I'm I'm happy to move on. So the second part of that trilogy is Beautiful Feeling, which again features backing vocals by Tom York. It seems to be another song about that new relationship, the perfect relationship or the infatuation and that feeling of um, not wanting to be with anyone else or anywhere else. So lyrics, you know, he's the best thing. He's the best thing, a beautiful feeling. Once again, I think Tom York's backing vocals are really haunting. Oh, yeah. It's so beautiful. I think the what we've what we've got to praise particularly here is the production on this. The way his backing vocals hauntingly fleet in and out of the mix. They're sort of in the ether there, sort of coming in very gently and coming yeah. out and yeah. it works and, and, and hauntingly like i wrote the same words and it it, it is like a specter within within Ooh, the song that's a lovely way of putting it yeah it is it's very much a tempo shift in in the album it's it's a mid-album song but i think it works within the balance of the album as well because of you have this sort of haunting beauty to it with his voice and balance against hers. It, 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 it's a, it's a lot, it's a lovely piece of work. It is. So I, the way the guitar part, certainly when it breaks down the chord progression in that guitar part, it's um, something in a way from nevermind. Mm-hmm. That's good. I like that song a lot. It sounds deeply personal, the way it's so paired back compared to what you've heard so far. Yeah, it's captivating. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a lovely way to to describe it. It's, it is just a beautifully haunting melodic piece of music that works really well. And PJ Harvey and Tom York are unbelievable on it. it it's, they are. It's and, great. And this is something I was going to say in a minute that you wouldn't expect their voices to work well together, but they really do. They really do resonate so well with each other. It's great. Okay. So we, should we move on? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've rhapsodized about this enough, I think probably. Yeah, I think we have. All right. So we are, we break momentarily from our love song trilogy to the whore's hustle and the hustler's whore. If ever there was an ode to New York on this album, <laughs> this is very much yeah. It. Not just an ode; it, it's an ode to New York, whilst being an indictment of it at the same time about people soullessly taking advantage of each other. You know, the horse hustle and the hustler's whore. Too many people are out of love. The horse hustle and the hustler's whore. This city's ripped right to the core. That's the refrain in the in the chorus. But at the same time. As that evisceration, as that indictment, as I said on Big Exit, there's a sense of seduction, a sense mm-hmm. of longing, pleading for 
New York City to give her something, something pure, something bigger. So, so the way I I saw it, it was the it's akin to rubbernecking. Is the uh, you yeah. are yeah. you are disgusted by the thing that you see, but you can't help but look uh, look at the the car crash as you as you travel past it, and that's that's how I sort of viewed viewed the the, the lyrical content of so it. So that's interesting. Yeah, no, I've not thought of it that way, and and I guess you're right. Where I took that that sense of longing and pleading as i said from is is within the final verse there's a lyric this isn't the first time i've asked for money or love heaven and earth don't even mean enough speak to me of heroin and speed just give me something i can believe but yeah actually i can very much see where you're coming from there that it's that it's a morbid fascination perhaps more than a sense of of longing i like that yeah it's it's appalling yet appealing lovely very eloquently put so after two, as we said, haunting melodic love songs, this is a real pitch shift. You've got loads of guitars, loads of reverb, rolling bass and rolling drums driving the song forward. Now this one, I could definitely hear the verve. I could be listening to almost anything off Northern Soul. So um, I'm sure that you are not surprised that I fucking adored this. <laughs> that it's got that proper raw garage sound to it. It's it's great. It's as you say. It's a peon to to New York, and it's dirty underbelly, and it sounds it as well. And that's what that's what really got its nails into me. So there's something I want to. I'm just picking up on what you said about rubbernecking. Right at the end, PJ Harvey ends the song with a real wailing, almost like banshee shriek, mm-hmm. which sounds like a siren, like a police siren. So is is that in itself a call to New York? But and this is me being very wanky. <laughs> Unlike us. If well, yeah. Is it even within that a double meaning about being enticed into the decadent underbelly, as you've said, of New York, like a siren call? Yeah. It's it's so if so to to continue our uh, slightly wanky transgression that you can view it as in two ways, that it's a siren call or it's a siren as a warning. Yeah. 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 The, the, like it's to tell you to stay away because this is dangerous, but much like the siren's call, it's, is it's bringing you to the danger. Yeah, you can certainly you can see, view it that way. So you know how when we very first started this show, we said we're not going to be like uncut, like doing a two-hour <laughs> deep dive of wankiness. <laughs> Sorry, mate. We have well and truly jumped the shark with this. <laughs> We've got, we, we need to get back to talking about big poos. <laughs> big poos and fanny canoes. Yeah. That's a good name for an album, that, Kev. <laughs> it's definitely a second album. You, you don't open with with no. uh, big poos and fanny canoes. That's your, that's your follow-up. <laughs> oh, should we uh, should we get back to talking about PJ Harvey? Yeah. <laughs> Although I so say I that we've 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 been we've been on far longer detours in the past. There must be something else we can talk about. No, I th- I, th- I mean I think that in terms of the horse hustle and the hustler's haul, I think we've we've kind of covered it. Um, I like it a lot. I have big love, big love for this. All right, shall we go on to this mess with him? Yeah. Again, beautiful, lovely balance between his and her voices. 
it works really really well it's it, really it, it's really good it is beautiful it is haunting so this is a duet with tom york so he, he moves i want he, more i want more pj harvey and tom york work because it's because the triptych that we've had is great yeah well this completes the trilogy as as, as i mentioned earlier yeah i i think they, they it is great and so tom york graduates from backing vocals to to full duet here it is beautiful but as all the adjectives we use to describe uh, one line and beautiful feeling, haunting, captivating, all that. So on working with Tom York in that interview with the LA Times that I mentioned earlier, PJ Harvey said that I first met Tom in 1992, I think, and we've stayed in contact. We've exchanged letters. So um, just to so kids, a letter it's like a DM, but longer, ah. written in pen, on paper, and you send it through the mail with a stamp on it. Uh, it sounds exhausting, I know, and it really was. <laughs> exchange letters. They exchange letters. In 2000? I know. Email like, existed in 2000. Yeah. This, <laughs> you had chosen an antiquated way to keep in touch. <laughs> so, continuing... He's somebody whose voice I've loved and felt very moved by for a long time. I'd long been interested in the idea of somebody else singing a whole song on a record of mine to have a very different dimension brought in by somebody else's voice. It had so much dynamic within the record to have this other character coming in. I get tired of my own voice and it's nice to hear somebody else's. So we've had songs about unrequited love. We've had songs about romantic and happily ever after love. We've even had songs about self-love. <laughs> Going back to our, our clash involving Lizzo and, uh, and Janelle Monet. This is the first time that we've had a song about forbidden love. And this song seems to me to be about two lovers, at least one of whom is otherwise engaged, let's say, mm-hmm. sharing their perhaps only, perhaps last night together and it's beautiful yeah i I have i have nothing more to add to that because it is it's a all all three of the songs that she's done with tom york are beautiful they're haunting they have just such a depth to them and really i want more i want i want more of that thank you i I agree so uh, again, I, I've talked about this completing what seems to be a, a triptych, a trilogy, whatever you want to say. This would be the logical follow-up to Beautiful Feeling. But obviously, Horse Hustle comes in between. I actually think that's important because there are multiple themes within the album. And if you go too far down one cul-de-sac, it becomes very difficult to to back up. Yeah, it would, it would take the album down a route that... I'd, it would be difficult to pull it out of. Exactly, exactly. There, that's what I was trying to say. Just in in more metaphorical and wanky terms. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked about this last week when we went through murder ballads, and we talked about it in particular on Henry Lee, actually, which was a duet. This is very simple musically, and that allows the two voices to come forth mm-hmm. and to tell the story of their forbidden love it brings them to the fore it yeah exactly great song 
Yeah, love it. Okay, shall we go on to You Said Something? Yeah, I think we should. Or, as I've termed it, how many references to New York can I jam into three and a half minutes? Yeah. (laughs) So, just in the first verse, we have Brooklyn, Manhattan, Five Bridges, and the Empire State Building in one Somebody's on the tour bus. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that Liberty Island isn't only it only isn't referenced because it wouldn't scan with this. No, it's because she wouldn't pay the extra two dollars to like <laughs> to go to that stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's another one about being in love. It's about just wanting to be together. It's about hanging on every word. It's. I like the fact that we never get to hear exactly what it is that the other party said. It was just yeah. something important, something that she's never forgotten. I'm not, I'm not particularly keen on the song. So she sings it very well. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a perfectly well put together song. It just never grabs me. It doesn't get its hooks into me, and I don't know what it is about it because I can see all the constituent elements are are fine. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, I do like it. I don't love it. It's that we've gone very mid nineties alt rock. Yeah, maybe maybe it's that that that, that sound like just <sighs> turned me off a little bit. I could almost be listening to a KD Lang song. <laughs> <laughs> she can't stand gravy. Constant gravy. It's the poppiest song so far by a long way. It is. I'm surprised it wasn't a single. Actually, I am. Um... As you say, it's it's very poppy, and maybe that's what turns me off from it. That it doesn't seem like her kind of shtick, and it doesn't. Whilst you're sticking all the New York references in, so it's it kind of fits with the theme of the album, but musically, it doesn't really suit what's gone before. Yeah, I get that. I get that. So it's a bit jarring. It is. It's exactly what I've put. It's a bit jarring after what's come before. But I like it. And I do like it. I, I, I like the song. I, one thing I, I slightly take issue with is that, as I said earlier, she, she's quoted as saying that she hates this album being referred to as her New York album. Well, why put this on there then? This is, <laughs> this is, this is, oh, look at all these romantic venues in New York I've been to. Sorry, it is. Like, as you said, like the, the opening stanza, if you like. <laughs> is basically, these are the things I've seen in New York. Exactly. Does she get confused also, as halfway through? So at the start, the opening line is, on a rooftop in Brooklyn, at one in the morning. And then the last verse, it, she's on a rooftop in Manhattan, at one in the morning. Wait, which is it? They're, they're different boroughs. So possibly she's been dating Superman, and <laughs> he, he's took her for the midnight skyline, and it's not that far to go. For, for Superman, like that, that's relatively quick. He can make time go backwards, so you know. So it would be better if the last verse had been on a rooftop in Manhattan, eleven at night. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what he told. <laughs> I can never have children with you because of my uh, Kryptonian loins. <laughs> uh, watch more rats for more. Where that came from. <laughs> Uh, I like this song. You don't find. I don't love it. It's 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 throwaway, but I still like it. 
Yeah, fair enough. All right, uh, Kamikaze. Now, this is one I really like. Yeah, this is all good. Um, I have a tendency to read too much into things. Is she telling a story from her past here about an attack, an assault, defending herself, one tooth for one eye, he's come to find me, kamikaze, you don't touch me. I, it, it seems very cutting. I mean, it's in, it's entirely plausible, and we've talked about before that the shit that women has, has have to put up with, it's entirely plausible that this is PJ Harvey talking about something like that. Yeah, um, maybe maybe we've gone down to Wokey Hole again here. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I took from it. I mean, it's it's after a, what we've just said is the most poppy song on the album. This is the closest to anything on To Bring You My Love. Yeah, and that's why I really like it. It's frenzied, it's garage. Oh, frenzied is a great word, yeah. It's one of those songs where it sounds as though it's always on the edge of about to go out of control, but it manages to walk the tightrope throughout, so it keeps its lyricism, it keeps its musicality, while still being wild with it. It's... Oh, it's fucking great. It is fucking great. (laughs) (laughs) Chunky guitars, biting lyrics. This is such an angry song. Whatever the subject matter is, this is such an angry song. Like you said, it's always on the edge of just fucking losing it and going off. I love Kamikaze. I, I can't say anything else about it. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah, it is. and it's It's very much in my wheelhouse. All right. Shall we go on to This Is Love? Or PJ Pop. So this was the final single from the album. It was released on the 8th of October 2001. It was a double A side with You Said Something, and it only charted at number 41, which... Now, I am going to go back to what you said earlier. That's fucking wild. It's fucking wild. Jason Heller of the AV Club, he drew comparisons to No Fun by the Stooges. A song which we've referenced before, and actually. I can hear, I can hear that definitely. That guitar riff, whether it's intentional or not, that guitar riff is no fun. The song was nominated for Grammy for the best female rock vocal performance. The video, again directed by Sophie Muller, PJ Harvey wearing a white suit, playing the song on a white lecky guitar. It's fucking great. She looks. Amazing in that video. The song itself, it's grungy and unmistakably her, but it has a much more accessible sound to it. I mean, it's it's been described as blues punk, and I can I can see why. Like I it genuinely staggers me when you say that it reached 41. Because again, it seems that song again heavy MTV rotation, MTV2 uh-huh. rotation, you know. Yep. This this is a song that, that I very much knew. Um, in terms of the subject matter, it's, it's a sexy song. All the adjectives we used to describe songs on the idiot, sexy, grubby, sleazy, slutty, this is that. This is, I don't give a shit about anything else in the world. I want you, and I want you now. Yeah, I can't believe that life's so complex. I just want to sit here and watch you undress. Whew, this is a sexy song. Well, yeah, and it's it's uncomplicated, but not in a bad way. That it's this is love. This is love. This is what I'm feeling. It's you know, like it. 
absolute balls out, heart on the sleeve. This is this is who I am. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I want to do to you. Let's fucking get to it. Like that's that's what the song is. It is. So I know you said PJ's pop journey. This is a fucking banger. I yeah, love it this is. Song. It's a banger. But as as I, as we've said earlier, that it's pop, but with her spin on it. Yeah. And like it's a really accessible song. Like I I struggle to think of anyone who who can't see anything of merit in this song because it it is accessible but it's so her as well that's the beauty of it that she's not lost her core sound her core in innate pj harveyness in, yeah. in it <laughs> yeah i like the way this song builds so you start with that chunky stooges inspired guitar riff then you've got from the second verse, a little very simple piano part comes in. Then uh, uh, from the third verse on, you've got another guitar part comes in over the top. Just builds and builds and builds and adds to... It's great. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, it is. sorry, guys. I was about to come up with something profound and I couldn't. <laughs> it's no. just, it's good. It, <laughs> this is a good thing. <laughs> That's all okay. we got. Shall we move on? Yep, we'll move on to Horses in My Dreams. So, yeah, um, Horses in My Dreams apparently is a poetic translation of a dream that Polly Jean once had. So, in the unofficial biography, Siren Rising, she's quoted as saying, that was a really vivid dream I had. The whole song, when I was writing it, it was a very difficult, emotional thing to go through doing, because... It is so close to me. It's a very personal song, that one. And it remains so, really. This could be interpreted as a song about um, getting over a heroin addiction, but I'm not aware of her ever having had an issue with heroin addiction. I am certainly not aware of anything. Um, I, I could I could well be wrong. I'm, I'm not an expert. So, obviously, there's a, there's a very literal uh, interpretation of the word horse in what I'm saying. Yeah. And within the lyrics, she says, horses in my dreams, like waves, like the sea, on the tracks of a train, set myself free again. I have pulled myself clear. I mean, it, I don't know. It could, it could be that she's a massive fan of Father Ted and she was thinking of the uh, Father Ted Eurovision entry, My Lovely Horse. <laughs> or she was one of the surfers in that Guinness advert with the left field song where there was horses the waves turned into horses and she was fearful for her life, but she managed to get clear mm-hmm. of the waves. That's, that's it. Or, or a big Claire Balding fan. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to explain that one. <laughs> Again, Google is there. Google is your well, the friend. Thing, the other thing is, anyone that knows who Claire Balding is, <laughs> you've made all sorts of assertions about PJ Harvey's private life there. Do you know what? I hadn't, I hadn't gonna, even considered I'm that. I just thought if she presents horse racing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was as simple as I'd gone with. Oh, great stuff. Okay, <laughs> fine. Claire Balding. There you go. <laughs> um, so after what we've just heard, this is a hell of a come down. Yeah. You know, the tempo tonal shift, it feels out of place. And it's a massive, it's a proper come down. I, I felt that whilst her song sounds 
so raw and exposed against simple musical backdrop. The possibly it's in the wrong place in the album. I don't know where you put it, but it feel it does feel like a proper, you know, it is a come down. Yeah, it it is definitely a come down. Um, so you talked about the musical backdrop. One thing I do like within the the, the sound in the verses is very dark, and then the chorus is almost wistful. And I like that stark contrast between the chorus and the verse. I think this is the first time on the album, perhaps the only time on the album, as we're near the end, where you can really hear the Bad Seeds influence in the sound. It's not a bad thing. It's just, it's an observation of mine. I agree with what you said about where it is in the album, not just in terms of what precedes it, but what follows it. But like you said, I don't know where else you would put it. And I'm going to leave it there because I don't want to spoil something I'm going to say in a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's not a bad song. It just it just doesn't feel right where it is. Yeah, it, I, I agree. It, I agree with you. It it's it, I, I don't dislike it, but it doesn't fit. It doesn't seem to fit. Yeah. Okay. Should we go on? Yeah, I think we should move on to the next one. We float, uh, which is. Um, well, it's not the last song on the album because remember a time when secret tracks were a thing? Ah. <laughs> it takes you back, doesn't it? <laughs> it very much does. Uh, okay, so We Float. It has been suggested that this is a song about her breakup with Nick Cave, but I can't find anything from, well, from PJ Harvey in particular that corroborates that um, or denies it, so mm-hmm. no idea. Other people, again, going back to what I was talking about, Horses in My Dreams, have suggested it's about heroin. I I think that personally would be a a very tenuous interpretation of the We Float lyric. I think this is just about reminiscing about a lost love, but cherishing the time that was spent together. I really like this. I think it's a really lovely, wistful way to end the album proper. So I do, I do really like it. It builds nicely. It has an excellent sort of middle eight and a dreamy chorus. And I'm going to reference someone, you know, quite quite important. Like, so the underneath guitar is, well, I put Fripp-like. Um, Ooh. Oh, yeah, I hadn't, yeah, okay. I hadn't thought of that. It did remind me of Robert Fripp. That's, that's what came to mind. When I when I was re-listening to it, twenty first century schizoid woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's never bad um, having Fripp involved. No, it is not. I mean, we're going to have to do Court of the Crimson King at some point, aren't we? I think that's going to happen. Once again, as I've talked about, well, I talked about it on on the last track. There's a juxtaposition between verse and chorus, between dark and light. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I think the drum machine intro is interesting. I think as the song develops, it makes more sense. But it, given what you've heard before, it's like, hmm. It's a bit jarring again, but it is. It, but in a good way after the previous song. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I get that. I really like the piano part that comes in through the verse uh, yeah. and then builds again through the verses. It's really, it's it creates a sense of unease through the verses and that. As I say, creates that that juxtaposition when you then go to the 
Yeah, the dreamy pop music of the chorus, mm-hmm. where she's just saying, we float, take life as it comes. And it makes you just want to, yeah, just lie on a riverbank. And exactly that, take life as it comes. I like this a lot. I like this a lot. Yeah, it's good. Uh, it sounds very elbow to me. Now, this came out in 2000. So I, I, I wonder if Messrs. Potter and Garvey were listening to this album as they were recording Asleep in the Back, which was released the following year. Elbow's debut album. Very elbow for me. So I didn't really get elbow from it, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if um, if Guy Garvey was was listening listening to this because it is PJ Harvey. Yeah, like, you know. Now and that he, is a duet I would love to hear. That's that'd be a very interesting duet. I don't think it'll ever happen. No. By the way, to our American listeners, I've no idea how popular Elbow are in the states, but go listen to Elbow. They're fucking great. Yeah, they, they've done some really good stuff. Like you know. Check them out. That's a lovely song. Yeah, it's all kinds of good stuff. So are we going to do the hidden track or not? Yes, of course. Okay. Well, I've I've written notes about it. I, I, I've written three words, well, four words. Okay. Um, I mean, just like, the, the, the as I said earlier, the days when hidden tracks were a thing. <laughs> it, it really did. They, they were very much the um, end credit scenes of the music world in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Or if you were Solwax, um, you had a hidden track at the beginning at of the your beginning. album that you had to rewind back to. And Ash. Ah, right, okay. 1977 had... Uh, of course Uncle it Pat did. And Petrol as hidden tracks, if you rewound. Anyway, uh, yes, I would like to talk about this Wicked Tongue. Okay. Um, so would you like my four-word review? Yeah, no, no, go on, go on, go on. Filthy, angry, and great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. More chunky guitars, more reverbs, dirty, filthy. I can almost see myself in a tent at Glastonbury or yeah. Reading or wherever you want, watching PJ Harvey rock out to this and having a fucking great time. As you said, it's furious, it's swaggering, it's brilliant. Come yeah. on. And it's two minutes long, so it's perfect for me. Yeah, but it's not that it's five minutes long with three minutes of fucking silence. Get on with it. That's the beauty of streaming services because you can just skip to... T- t- or, or hold down the button on the CD player. <laughs> Until he starts to hear that telltale. Oh, shit, right, I missed right, it Oi. <laughs> yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, it's really good. Okay, are we ready for Legacy? Yep, okay. Right, so the album reached... So despite the... Lack of success of the singles. The album reached number 23 on the UK album chart. It debuted at number 42 on the US Billboard 200 chart. Wow. Exactly. As of 2003, it had sold over 300,000 copies in the UK, over 350,000 copies in the USA. It reached number seven in France, number eight in Norway. See, it's not about murders. That's why I didn't reach number one. Number 20 in Australia. It was certified gold in Belgium and France, platinum in Australia and the UK. And again, as of 2003, worldwide sales had exceeded 1 million copies. So a hugely successful album commercially in terms of its 
success awards-wise. Well, it earned PJ Harvey a Brit Award nomination for the Best British Female Artist. She didn't win. I don't know who did, but that was wrong. (laughs) Um, It was nominated for the Grammy for the Best Rock Album. But most significantly, it won the 2001 Mercury Music Prize, making her the first female solo artist to win the award. Which was a massive thing. It, it, seemed, it seems nuts that it took that long for a solo female artist to win the Mercury. Exactly. So beforehand, you'd had female success within bands, so M people had won it. Huh? It was down to Shovel's work. <laughs> Second <laughs> reference to Shovel. <laughs> Perhaps more... Uh, well, Porter's had won it for Dummy. Uh, another album we're going to do, by the way. I fucking love Dummy. It's a great album. But yeah, the first, first solo female artist to win the award. Now, what is slightly unusual about this is that the ceremony for the Mercury Music Prize in 2001 was held on, well, it was held on 9-11. PJ Harvey, at the time, was stuck in a hotel in Washington, D.C., and apparently witnessed the attack on the Pentagon from her hotel room. So she clearly was only able to accept the award at a very muted ceremony via a a telephone call. And in her speech, she said, well, she said very little. Uh, What she said is, it has been a very surreal day. All I can say is thank you very much. I am stunned. And I mean, history has a, and faith has a cruel sense of humour that, the 2001 yeah. Mercury Prize is given to on 9-11 to an album that is significantly influenced by New York. Very much so. Now, I'm going to go into reviews. And don't worry, he is here this week. <laughs> he took a leave of absence last week. He's back. Before I do, one of the album's biggest critics was one Polly Jean Harvey herself. In an interview with Mojo in 2008, she said that I felt like I got lost around that record. I wanted to try writing lots of perfect pop songs. It's great to set oneself projects, but they also have to ring true to your heart and soul. Pop music isn't where my heart is at. I respect your views, Polly Jean. However, I disagree because... I love this album. <laughs> yeah, I think you're protesting a little too much there. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, that's what she said. So Fair enough. Third album. Exactly. <laughs> okay, shall we go on to the reviews by music critics? Yeah, I think we should. So, Enemy gave the album 9 out of 10. And their reviewer, John Mulvey, said it was PJ Harvey's best album since 1991's Dry. A return to the feral intensity of that remarkable debut... He also hailed it as a magnificent, life-affirming opus. Chris Jones from the BBC said it was probably the closest Polly Jean Harvey ever got to balancing her twin talent of being both unsettling and turning on eminently accessible, beautiful rock music. I think we would both agree with that sentiment. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair point to make. Okay, so I mentioned the um, review by Spencer Owen in Pitchfork earlier on, and I, and I want to come back to it now. So he was quite quite critical of the album. He said that bland middling music can often be more offensive than something genuinely awful. 
Average music just fades into the background. You feel nothing, so you virtually hear nothing. The frequencies are wasted on your ears. With each album, Polly Jean Harvey moves gradually from the barrage of passion of her previous work into the central category. On Stories from the City, she may be more maturing or more vulnerable, but regardless, the sheen gets slicker and her music gets duller as time passes. Fuck off. Yeah, I don't agree with that. No. Now, so clearly Spencer Owen is a fan of her earlier works. And we have said that this is quite deliberately more radio-friendly, more accessible, more poppy, whatever you want to say, than her works through the 90s. But, um, nah, fuck you, mate, you're wrong. It, do, it doesn't make, like, just because an album is more accessible, it doesn't make, so we were talking about Janelle Monáe in the previous Clash, and her last album was more accessible than previous ones. It doesn't make it a bad album. It just means that it has a wider No, it audience. doesn't, Kevin. It doesn't make it a bad album, does it, Kevin? No, it absolutely <laughs> doesn't. So, so um, for the listeners, yeah. Tim has not let this go. <laughs> seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. Fuck off. I would also say that some of the verbiage in that review, it's approaching Robert Criscale levels of wankiness. Well, as you, as, as you which, have brought up the spectre <laughs> of Nobby McGee. So, as I said, after a leave of absence last week, he is back with a vengeance this week. So, you may notice we usually read the Rolling Stone review or excerpts from the Rolling Stone review as part of our reviews because it is a very much revered and noteworthy publication. I haven't done that so far because the Rolling Stone review for this album was written by one Robert Chris Gale. <laughs> hey. Now, okay, he calls it the best album of PJ Harvey's career. Okay. He's going to say something weird, isn't he? Or stupid. Well, as usual, very little of what he says actually pertains to the music on the album. Brace yourselves. <laughs> I know it's impolite to put it this way. I mean, finally, is that some self-awareness from him? I don't know. I know it's impolite to put it this way, but sometimes... Getting laid can be really good for a person. On the recorded evidence, with no claim to any lowdown on PJ Harvey's actual private life, no shit. A secret as closely guarded as the whereabouts of Saddam Hussein and the formula for Coke. That's the secret of Stories from the City, which even she allows is the happiest sounding album she's ever made. What? He just can't fucking help himself, can he? Just say, this is really good. Why is it going to... What the fuck does it matter? Whether she, so she's happy. So what? I, I could read a lot more in that vein. I could. This, this, well, as usual, it's fucking... Ugh. After a week off, it's back with a bang. <laughs> what a bellend. I <laughs> what a cockwomble. Why, why does it matter if she's got late? What the, who the fuck are you? <sighs> yeah. Right. Shall we move on from him? I think we should. To best song, worst song. Okay, so I went first last time, so then this is this is on you. All right, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do worst song first. So as I said last week, this seems harsh. 
because I've got to be honest, it's not a song on this album I dislike, but I've got to pick a weakest, and it's Horses in My Dreams. I probably wasn't that secretive about it as we went through the album. It didn't resonate with me. Fair enough. I don't know what it's about. People have suggested what it might be about. I, I don't know. It, it just didn't resonate with me. I don't dislike it. I, I quite like it, actually, but it is my least favourite, so that's what I've got to pick. My best song... So I'm going to give honourable shouts to Big Exit, to, well, to This Wicked Tongue, because I think it's fucking brilliant, and to Kamikaze. But the obvious shout is the right one. The best song on this album is This Is Love. It's a banger, as I said when we're going through it. I love it. So, uh, yeah, that's me. So I don't think it's going to come as a galloping surprise um, that my weakest song on the album is You Said Something. Never really grabbed me. Yeah, there's a, I just wasn't very keen on it. My favourite song on the album, that was a tough old choice, though. Honourable mentions for for The Whore's Hustle and The Hustler's Whore. This Is Love is, is, is a great song. But for me, again, it's not going to come as a huge shock that how effusive I was about it. Kamikaze is great. It's, it is great. It's, yeah, I, in fact, I, I went as far as to do a little version of Tony the Tiger when describing it. It's great. <laughs> now, fair enough. It was hard to pick a best song from this album. And that's because it's really good. Yeah, it's they're, they're both really good albums. So should we get to scoring then? I think we should. The controversial scoring. So in terms of scoring, so this is my choice. So that means I get to go second on the second album. Is that right? I think I think that's how we usually yeah, do fine. it. So. so that means I go first on the first album. So I think Murder Ballads. So that's the first album. Sorry, we'll do Murder Ballads first. I think Murder Ballads is a great album. It's unlike anything else you'll listen to. I think this is a unique album. It starts with a sense of foreboding, a sense of doom. And then from there, it just takes you on a journey, a journey through evil deeds, through tragic tales and through comic malevolence. We said this last week, and I think it's important to say it again, for every song that glorifies the actions of its villain, there is another one that is a counterpoint to that telling you of the horrors of murder and the tragedy of murder. Every song has something to offer. Every song has something which draws an emotional response. Eight out of 10. I really like Murder Ballads. I'm going to give it an eight out of 10, which is becoming our most popular score. But there you go. Eight out of 10. How about you? So Murder Ballads, it's you you can't help but be impressed by the scope of its ambition to have a an album whose concept is that you're going to do songs about murder and rework traditional songs in 1996 is phenomenal and to do it in a way where you are different on every song that you incorporate so many different styles and you are lyrically clever and you manage to bring yourself into the mainstream through the most outsider of albums is fucking nuts. It's a brilliant piece of work. I have my reservations about the song that actually inspired the album, but I'm going to go, I'm going to come down as an eight and a half 
it's 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 great. Okay, eight and a half. I mean, yeah, I I think we we are broadly in agreement. You rate it slightly higher than me, but I think we're broadly yeah. in agreement there. All right, so let's go on to scoring stories from the city, stories from the sea. So you go first. What are you going to give it? So we've we've talked about, and I I have very much reveled in describing it as PJ's pop party, but that's to do it a disservice. This is a an an excellent album by an incredible artist. Um, the songs are are excellent. There's a lot going on throughout the album, um, and there's some absolute corkers on there. And I'm a huge fan of PJ Harvey. What I will say is there are two songs on it that, so there's one that I don't like, and there's a song that I don't think is a bad song, but it feels wrong where it is on the album. And I have to take that into consideration. However, it also does have This Wicked Tongue, which is great and absolutely filthy. So I think for me, I'm going to come down on it with a seven and a half out of ten. Okay, seven and a half. So you've put me in a quandary here. I love this album. As I said, I came to it late, ten years late, but I love it. PJ Harvey may think it's too poppy. I disagree. I think it's her best album. I do. I love Let England Shake. I love To Bring You My Love. This is better than both of those albums. There's not a weak song on the album. As I said about both these albums, I felt harsh choosing a, a weaker track, a, a worse song, because they're all good. They're all good. You've got you've got Ode to New York. You've got soul searching love songs. You've got fierce rock, well bangers. As I said, there's so much to get stuck into on every track. As I said about murder ballads, every single track has got something to offer here. Hi, I'm struggling to come down with a score here. Oh, is it worth a nine? Eight and a half. And that breaks my heart because I wanted this to win. And I'm on a massive losing streak now. I can't give it a nine. (laughs) And I felt felt slightly harsh giving it a seven and a half, but I had to score it on. There were two songs that... No, I get it. I get it. One that I I didn't like. And, you know, it's a a really good album. And, you know... I mean, I I would say you're, you're scoring this week is... Is more consistent last than, than it was last time. <laughs> Never let me go. Uh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yeah, okay. I, I want it. I really wanted stories from the city to win, but I can't give it a nine. I said a couple of weeks ago that I thought that um, Dirty Computer was almost worthy of a ten, but I had to come down to a nine. So that's my high bar now. That mm-hmm. album. And no, this. This isn't worthy of a nine as much as I love it. So eight and a half is right. So yeah. Okay. So what we given, we've given 16, 16 and a half for murder. 16 and a half for murder ballads, 16 to stories in the city. So Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds wins this album clash. And as I said, I am on a horrendous losing streak. So choose wisely, Kev, because I might just decide to fuck you over. (laughs) Okay, so it is my selection for our next album clash, and we've had some slightly more esoteric ones um, recently. Uh, this time, we're going big balls out. This is a truly huge album clash. 
It's like Hogan Warrior at WrestleMania 6. Yes. Yes, <laughs> it, it is that. So one album begat the other. We are Ooh. we are reviewing Pet Sounds versus Sgt. Pepper. Wow, that's not where I thought you were going. That's not what I thought you were going to go Rubber Soul no. versus Pet Sounds. We went the other way around. Okay. Boom. That's going to be a fucking tough call, by the way. Yeah. We are going big balls out. And I like the way you didn't you didn't build up to it like we usually do. It's just like now here we go. No, because there's no there's no point giving giving it the big the big one. It's Pet Sounds. It's Sgt. Pepper. They are both huge, iconic albums, but they will face each other in the ring of death. I am excited. <laughs> As I said, a big hairy balls uh, kind of clash. <laughs> big balls <laughs> I've got an analogy and I'm just driving it through with my big hairy balls <laughs> oh good stuff uh, alright so there you go there's your homework you need to listen to uh, the Beach Boys Pet Sounds from 1967 66 I think it is ok 66 fine and then Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by the Beatles and that is from 67 yes great stuff exciting Yes, that's that's it. So all that is left for us to do is to... How may people get in touch with the show, Kevin? So if you are a horrific human being, then you probably post on Twitter. And you may find um, our content at Clash Album. If you um, want to see some quality social media output, then you can check out our Insta, uh, Clash Album. Or if you actually want to get in touch with us in the old school way, it's albumclash at gmail.com. Not going to lie, that's a, not, not up to usual standards, that. You know, just uh, everyone's a horrific human being. doesn't matter which social media platform they're on. <laughs> yeah, but if you tend to go on Twitter, you will find the worst of humanity. But you, yeah, I post on Twitter. Does that make me a horrific human? Don't answer that question. Well, yeah, thank you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, as always, if you are enjoying what you're hearing please subscribe please leave us a review please give us a five star rating not a four star rating or a three star rating if we could give a six star rating i'll tell you to do that but anyway yeah all that stuff we want our maccas five stars <laughs> we're fed up of being on the uh, chips we've been on there for ages exactly i want to put the mayonnaise on the fillet of fish <laughs> does anyone have a fillet of fish I mean, they must do because they're on the menu. Yeah, but you wouldn't dare, would you? How long have they been under that counter? Oh, yeah, I'll do your filly of fish. Oh, yeah, can I have the veggie patty, please? Which you're going to defrost under someone's armpit. Yeah, but at least veggies, have, you know, it's not fit. I reckon the filet of fish is just a chicken sandwich has gone off. <laughs> um, I would that like is to... purely speculation <laughs> on my part. <laughs> I'd like to clarify, that is not the views of Album Clash. <laughs> And if you want to, if you want to sue one of the contributors, then you can do McDonald's, but not me. It was Kev that said that. <laughs> uh, okay, people have had enough, Kev. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Thanks very much. Really appreciate you listening, and you know your homework for next week. You need to listen to Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys and. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band by a little-known Liverpool band called The Beatles. 
Never heard of him. That's been Album Clash. I've been Tim. I've been Kev. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Cheers. Cheers.